We are glad that you're here. And this is an exciting time for the church. Just listening to Carl and Melissa share about this project. Throw me under the bus while they do it. This is awesome that we get to participate with this, that we get to give towards the mission of what God is doing in Taiwan. And so I do, I pray that your family would, would come alongside of this, that you'd make some sacrifices. This is going to go really well with our next series. Believe it or not, we are going to start our kind of walk towards Easter next week as we look at the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. So what we're going to do is we're going to take those seven last things that Jesus says for those six hours that he's on the cross. And we're going to think about what does this mean? What is he saying? Because a dying man's last words are significant. But as we do that, we're going to talk about sacrifice, focus, as we walk towards the cross with Christ. And so this is exciting. You've also noticed in your bulletin, we've got a men's ministry that we're headed towards the end of March. We're going to do a breakfast, and we're excited to start something where we kind of take the heart of this series, which is brokenness, that we struggle. And this morning, we're talking about our struggle with sin, and we get to have a ministry where men come together, and kind of the tagline for this ministry is that we're standing strong together. That it's not good enough to try to, to walk this walk by yourself because it's not going to work. And so this ministry is about being together, walking this walk together in accountability and confession. And so that morning we'll have a breakfast. I'll share a little bit about what the ministry will look at. We'll have some fun. Um, if you're interested in helping me with the breakfast or the morning, please come talk to me. I think we have a lot of bacon to cook, so... Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word this morning. Father, we're so thankful. What a, what a privilege it is to come and to sit and to sing worship to you. That it's not just words that we're singing, but it's truth. That you pursued us. That in you, we are righteous. That you love us endlessly. And God, right now, we're, we're, we worship you. We're grateful for that truth. God, now, as we open up the word, I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We come into this room with things that are stressful for us in our life right now. We come into this room with struggles, maybe physical pain even. But whatever it is that we carry this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would pierce through it and speak to our hearts and to our brains. God, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. And so, God, we pray that you would use this time and you'd speak. It's in the name of your son that we can pray. Amen. We've been doing this series on brokenness. We'll wrap it up this week. And as I have been Thinking about this series, thinking about brokenness, it just seems like God is opening my eyes to the reality of brokenness all around us. You know, as I've been praying and writing and reading and thinking, it's just become really clear this week how many people are hurting or who are broken, struggling 
in an awful situation. And so this morning, what we're going to be talking about is the brokenness that is within ourselves and the brokenness that we, we experience in our world. And what I mean when I say brokenness, I'm just talking about the fact that because of our sin, things have gotten messed up. Our sin choices have tainted and broken the way we experience our life. And so we kind of did an overview the first week. Matt came and shared about the relationship that we have with God and with others and how that's been broken. But today we want to focus about our brokenness within ourselves, the reality that we do struggle with sin. We struggle with sinful choices. And it's not just that we struggle... Not just that we have an inclination to sin, but that we live under our sin. That we are comfortable, comfortable in our sin. Okay with our sin. And what happens is, as you pursue your sin, that's when you experience brokenness. Right? You pursue and are comfortable with your sin and what sin does and what we're going to talk about is how it just breaks everything. Drug addiction, alcohol abuse. It may seem okay. It may seem like a, a, a reasonable decision or the right decision. It breaks things. It breaks the way you think. It breaks relationships. It breaks things. Comparing yourself to others. It may seem natural. It may seem impossible to not do with social media. It breaks things. When you compare yourself to others, it breaks it. Internally, you'll be depressed, discouraged. Pornography may seem natural. It may seem fair. It may seem the right thing to do. It breaks things. And I'm just experiencing that as I walk with people and talk to people and read the news. The breakage of sin that we experience in our lives. How these sins come in and they just destroy things. Families. Pornography destroys your brain. Literally transforms physically how you think. And I've just seen that this week. The brokenness of our sin. We're going to talk about the brokenness with our world. So brokenness with ourselves is really our struggle with sin, but really our pursuit of sin that causes breakage all around us. We're talking about the brokenness we experience with our world, okay? the reality of natural disaster, of tragedy, of pain, of death, of people dying. I was on Facebook earlier this week, and a really good friend from high school Lost his mother this week, 58 years old, heart attack, just like that. I mean, out of nowhere, she's healthy. And they just posted a picture of their five beautiful grandkids. And it's like the reality of brokenness in our world, that things in our world aren't functioning the way God wanted, the, the way God had planned, the, way, the, the ideal And so for us, really, the heart behind this series has been we've got to learn how to deal with this, right? We've got to learn how to navigate this. Like, it's foggy outside. The fog is everywhere, and it's not, the answer isn't just slow down and stop going. The answer is we've got to get through 
the fog. We've got to manage the brokenness, live, thrive in the midst of things that just aren't right, are not easy. And Matt, I liked his illustration last week. There's, there's quick fixes, the local hospital, and then there's the right fix, going to the right place for the right solution. We've got to learn the right solution. We can fix things. We can cope with the brokenness in many ways. But that's not the best thing. What we've got to do is learn how Jesus came to fix the brokenness or help us navigate the brokenness, the right way of doing things. A couple years ago for Christmas, we gave, um, we actually just moved it in yesterday. We gave our kids a trampoline, a little trampoline. And you know how it goes when you you bring it out on Christmas Eve, it's late at night and you're like, I got to put this thing together because I don't want to have to do it in the morning. And so we're putting this trampoline together, just a little trampoline. Say, how hard could this little trampoline be to put together? And I got that thing, and I'm grabbing their springs that you're connecting from the trampoline to the edge of the trampoline. And I mean, I'm doing one, and then I'm doing the opposite side. And I'm trying to stretch out this trampoline. And it started to get a little tight. And I am pulling that trampoline. I get that spring. I put it in the hook. And I am pulling with everything I have. I am sweating at this point, trying to put this awful trampoline together. And Ashley's sitting there thinking, do you want to read the instructions? Do you want... No! No! I will use my strength to get this trampoline together. And finally, I got it all together except for the last spring. Oh my goodness. It was awful. I could not get that spring attached. I mean, I am now using my feet. I am using, Ashley is now helping me. She said, you know what, I'm going to pick up the instructions. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) And you know what we found? There was a tool that you were supposed to use to put the springs together. A perfect tool that connects with the spring and connects with the rim of the the trampoline. And when you used it, it was so easy to do. I now have learned that lesson. There's many ways that we can deal with brokenness. The world, our culture, gives us ways to handle the brokenness of our sin, the brokenness with the world and the tragedy that we live in. We're not looking for just any solution. We want the best solution. How does Christ call us to handle the brokenness? So let's start with the brokenness that's internal, the struggle that we have with sin. Okay, you don't have to be a Christian for long, for very long at all, to realize walking with Jesus is challenging. Just because you have come to Christ doesn't mean your pursuit of Jesus is just going to be simple. No, it's quite the opposite of that. You struggle as you try to walk with Christ. Sin is still there. Your struggle with sin is still there. Even if you are a young believer or an old believer, you will still struggle with sin. And often what happens is we get discouraged We make bad decisions in our struggle with sin. And there's this cycle that we go with or go down 
in our sin struggle. And I just want to talk about this cycle for just a few minutes. It usually starts in our brain. Okay, this cycle of sin struggle starts in what we believe, especially when I'm talking about what we believe about our sin. So we're talking about the struggle that we have with sin, but what happens is is in our brain, we, we have these poor thoughts or poor theology about our relationship with sin. And so things that I hear often, well, I'm human. I'm human. We all mess up. This is just my struggle. This is going to be the struggle that I live with forever because it's just who I am. I'm just a person. This is just my normal response to what's happened. Can you go to the next slide for me? And so our brains tell us it's okay because we're human. Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh, the flesh is that internal struggle against our sin, sets their minds on things of the flesh. We have a poor way of thinking about our relationship with sin. It's like, I'm just a person. I'm just going to struggle. It's just part of who I am. And what happens is it goes from our brains, it goes, then it goes down to our hearts. We start to listen to our feelings. Feels good. It will feel good to respond this way. It will feel good to make this choice. I'm right to make this response to this situation. It is justified for me to be bitter. It is justified for me to get back at this person. It will feel right if I do this. James 1, 14-15 talks about this desire. How it starts in our brain, then it moves to our feelings, or the Bible says desires. And this passage has really just stood out to me this week. It says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Look at the vivid language that James uses here. Dragged away and enticed. This is hunting and fishing language. Okay, The idea that we have been dragged away and enticed by our been led astray. And so he uses this strong language to say our desires entice us towards sin. And it is, it's a picture of going fishing. We were fishing last summer, Jack and I, on the the back bay at Virginia Beach. And we're catching all kinds of fish. And Jack is discouraged. Like, Jack, what's wrong? And he's got his little fishing line. It's in the water. I'm like, Jack, what are you doing? We're all catching fish. Now, he's a young guy, so it's okay. And I pull up his line, and it's just a hook. Yeah, that's a problem, Jack. we got to put something on there, bud. Okay, that's not how fishing works. You put something on the hook that's going to draw someone in. And this is what our desires do. We think, okay, I'm a human. We all have struggles. This, is, this seems like the right thing to do. And then it grabs our desires. Like, this is going to feel good. And what, what our desires entice us and they take us towards this sin. And then 
not only is it just desire, another way that the, the Bible talks about these desires, these feelings that we want towards our sin is by calling it a craving. A craving. If you have your Bible, turn to um, Exodus. I'm sorry, Numbers 11. Numbers 11. I don't think it's on the screen. Actually, it is going to be on the screen as well. Numbers 11. This story blows my mind. I mean, this really, it blows me away. Listening to these Israelites being driven by these cravings. So the Old Testament will often talk about these desires or these feelings. More than just something we feel, but something we crave. And listen to how they respond. Just six months after they're, they're released from slavery, by the way. It says, now the rabble that was among them. Verse, I'm sorry, chapter 11, 4 through 6. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. The people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. I mean, just think of the absurdity of what they just said. I mean, this craving, this desire that is so misplaced, it's, it is astounding. They miss the fish. Okay, do you remember what happened in slavery? Where they were abused and overworked and killed. Where their children were abused and overworked and killed. Yeah, they fed you fish. How insane for them to miss the fish when the slavery that went along with it. This just shows us that our cravings, our desires, our feelings, though they may seem well, they may seem good, they may seem right and natural, this shows us our desires can entice us and take us away from what God has for us. And then what happens after we have a craving? When you crave something, what do you do? Let's go eat. Let's go find it. And that's what happens. We indulge. We indulge. Look at the next passage here. Galatians 5. That's on the screen. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Your mind thinks this is just normal. This is just how it is. I'm going to have this struggle. Our, our hearts develop this craving and this desire. And then before we know it, it's now not just a feeling. It is something that we are throwing, we are throwing ourselves at. We are indulging in these desires and in these choices. It's exactly what James 1 says. If, I don't, if you could go back to James 1.15, what happens after we have that feeling desire? It says, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The craving becomes an indulgence. We think it, we feel it, and we go after it. This is exactly what's happening in James. And then that's where sin enters the story. And again, this is just kind of a background. This is the explanation for how and why sin calls, causes brokenness. Because look at that last little phrase of James 1.15. When it is full grown, gives birth to death. The brokenness that we experience because of our sin, because we've gone down this cycle, 
We've, gone, we've just gone through our sin. What happens is, is we experience death. When we pursue our sin, it kills things. Relationships. Internal struggles. Freedoms. And so this is the brokenness that we experience. And it's because our sin. And what happens with our sin is we get really good at going down this spiral downwards. We get really good at it, thinking it, feeling it, indulging it. But what happens is sin is like a fire. Right? When you pursue your sin, it grows like a fire, like a ravaging fire. It always grows. I remember watching the news about the fires in California this fall. And I remember watching something thinking, that cannot possibly be true. And I got on Google and I did some research and I was blown away at how fast the fires in California spread. The news, they shared on a video, they said that in a little over a second, the fire would spread more than one football field. In one second, the fire would grow and race and run and ravage everything around it. This is our sin. Our sin compounds. It grows. It touches everything in our life. So like if you're envious over something, whatever it may be, there's something you wish was yours. Okay, That sin doesn't just sit there. This idea of envious for whatever it is, maybe it's a job. What happens is, is if we pursue that envy, live in that envy, feed that envy, envy starts to grow in other areas of your life. And it's the same with all sorts of sin, lying, deception. If you live in deception and deceiving somebody else in this relationship with your employer or with your spouse or with your friend, lying just doesn't sit there. It grows. And what happens is it grows to other relationships. This is the nature of sin. And sin causes death. Brokenness. So many passages talk about this. Romans 6 says, What benefit were you from deriving the sinful practices of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Romans 8 again says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he'll also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption. When we reap these desires and go down this cycle, what happens is is we are introduced to death. Things get messed up. Things are corrupted. Now this has been discouraging perhaps. It's reality. But here's the truth. Christ has come, and he's broken the cycle. And and if we're going to deal with this brokenness of sin, we've got to learn how to deal with and handle and pursue fighting our sin. Christ broke the sin spiral. And what I've seen is, if we can think correctly about our relationship with sin, that will help us as we fight against it. We can think correctly about, as a believer, what is our relationship with sin? We all know we struggle. We all have things we do or we, that are, have always been a temptation to us. But what is the theological relationship with our sin? Just a couple of things. First, in Christ, we're freed from the power of our sin. I encourage you to write these down. 
We are freed from the power of our sin. It's not that we're freed from our sin. We're not free from our sin. We all struggle. We're freed from the power of our sin. Romans 6. I would write each passage next to these statements. Romans 6, 6 through 11. Because again, sin starts in our brain. And so if we can think correctly about our sin, it's going to help us get off the cycle. Romans 6 says, we know that our old self was what? Crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are freed from the power of sin because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, sin doesn't have to dominate your life like it used to. You, have, you do not have to be addicted or stuck under or burdened under your sin any longer. Christ came and he destroyed that bondage. As an unbeliever, you have no choice. Right before Christ, you are, you are following your sin wherever it goes. But look at how Paul describes the relationship we have with sin, that first that first verse in verse 6, what, what happened to our sin? It was crucified. It's crucified. We're about to start this series on the crucifixion. I'll give you a little preview. Crucifixion was inhumane. It was brutal. It was horrific. It was final. There was no slow death. Like It wasn't just some like easy death. Our sin... Our old self has been crucified. We've been set free. We've been set free from this slavery of our sin. Second point, we're slaves to whatever we allow to control our lives. We are slaves to whatever we allow to control our lives. Look at Romans 6, continuing in the same passage. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Okay, this is where we get this interesting paradox. In this passage... Sin has been, your old self has been crucified. It's dead. It has no power over you. But yet at the same time, look at this passage. At the same time, it's saying, consider it dead. Put it, make yourself known that it is considered dead. Don't let it reign in your body. So even though it's crucified, even though it's dead, you still have to consider that it has no power. Colossians does the same thing. Verse, chapter 3, verse 3 says, You've died. 
Yet you've got to consider yourself dead. Here's the principle. We can still be ruled by our sin, even though it's dead. We can give it power over us. We can give it all the power we want if we live underneath it. And then lastly, as believers, we have got to choose who our master is. We get to choose our master. Write down Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look at this passage. Just think about this for a second. It says, you used to be under the yoke of slavery of sin. Like that used to, like you used to carry that. Like that used to be on your, like on your shoulders. Your struggle, your sin, the brokenness in your life and your relationships internally, externally, that was on your shoulders. Christ came and he broke that yoke in half in many pieces and he put it on the ground. But here's what's happening. We're putting together the yoke. Like we take this broken, this wooden beam And we're putting it back together. And it is a mess, but we're putting it all back together. We're nailing it back together and we're trying to put it back onto our shoulders. And what Paul is saying here in Galatians, is says, don't go back to the yoke of the slavery that you used to carry. Like Christ destroyed that. He broke it in half. Why are you trying to carry it on your shoulders again? And so for us, this is maybe a bit theological, But we've got to learn how to fight our sin. Right? If we are tired of the brokenness, the brokenness internally and externally and all around us, we've got to deal with our sin in an appropriate way. Three quick things, and then we'll wrap it up. First, we've got to confess our sin. Confess your sin. I was reading this little line this week, and it stood out to me. Secrecy and silence are steroids for your sin. Secrecy and silence are steroids for your sins. David in Psalm 32 says this, when I kept silence, silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He's saying, when I was quiet, I was exhausted. Okay, we don't talk and bring our sin into the light. We don't, not, not near as often as we should. And when we keep it in the darkness, it grows and it takes us over. What does he say? What does James say in James 5? The, the, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Right? We're talking about death, remember? Like when you pursue your sin, it just kills things. But he's saying confess your sins and you'll be healed. Like there is something about talking about your struggle with somebody else that helps you in your fight for sin. Second thing that we need to do is starve the flesh. Starve the flesh. This gets kind of brutal, or maybe it seems brutal, but Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When we pursue our flesh, we are feeding this this pursuit of sin. And if we want to fight this brokenness and live and thrive in the reality of brokenness, we've got to stop gratifying the desires of the flesh. And then lastly, walk by the Spirit. 
If you went to the marriage conference last weekend, Paul David Tripp, in the context of marriage, talked about walking by the Spirit. And he said every marriage has what he called flowers and weeds. And he's talking about this idea that every single one of us, in ourselves and in our relationship, we have the Spirit of God, and we have the weeds, which he talked about as the flesh, the struggles. And both are there. And he talked about Whatever one you feed or care will grow and will take over in your marriage. And he said, we've got to feed the flowers. He said, the struggle is real. There was one little phrase that he used. He said, he, God knew that gardening in this context would be challenging. With flowers and weeds. With the fact that we want to walk with Christ in our marriage. Yet there's weeds and struggles and sin that's in our marriage. But he said... He didn't just leave us. God didn't leave us to do this by ourselves. He unzipped us and he gave us the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Go in the same direction that God is going in your marriage. That's what he said. Walking by the Spirit is saying we realize the value of our brains and our mind because that way of thinking, we understand that our desires aren't necessarily right and we point them towards Christ through the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my favorite pastors. And he, talked a lot, he talks a lot about this struggle, this internal struggle that we have. And he, he has this little quote that's pretty popular about the struggle that we have and how to fight up against it. Here's what he says. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they started talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking, yourself is talking to you. Now this man, he's referring to Psalm 42, did this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks his soul that has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will talk to you. Walking by the Spirit is saying, just because you have this this thought in the back of your mind or this feeling in the back of your heart, he's saying, You have to talk to that. Just because it's something you think or feel doesn't mean it's from God. Walking by the Spirit says, I submit to Christ. I want His thoughts and His feelings to dominate my life. So we walk in that Spirit. I want to close with just talking about our broken world. How do we thrive in the reality of death? And the reality of car accidents and natural disasters. And Romans 8 really speaks to this. We've been in Romans a lot because Romans talks about the brokenness of sin. And Romans 8 actually talks about the brokenness of the world that we live in. And basically Romans 8, if you can read it later, basically talks about how just like our bodies are groaning and struggling, so is our world. There's one little phrase at the end of Romans 8. That says this in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, 
but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, who groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. How do we, how do we handle the reality of death and struggle in our world today? Romans 8 tells us we wait. We wait. And we trust. And it's not going to be easy, and we're not going to understand why things happen. But just like Job did, when he got the news that his ten children were killed in a windstorm, and his wife comes to him and says, you know what, here's how you should respond to this brokenness. Curse God and die. But Job says, you know what? In the misery of that moment, he falls on his face and he worships. Again, he doesn't understand it. He never understands it. He waits, he trusts, and he worships. Uh, My friend whose mother passed away posted on Facebook. Um, They were missionaries in South Africa for many, many years. And again, just a devastating loss to this family and to this community. Worked at the International Mission Board. But he posted this, and I thought it was appropriate as we... Think through how do we handle brokenness. This is what he says. He says, there are no no words that truly encapsulate how we feel. There's a raw grief and sadness that's unexplainable. Yet there are two things that have given us more strength than we ever imagined. Our Lord and our friends and family. There's a verse in Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. He says, notice these, this verse doesn't say anything about these things being good. Losing my mom is the hardest thing we've ever had to do. But although we don't see it now, we have faith and trust that all things will work together for good. Wait, trust, and worship. And so, really, two different applications. First application is... Don't be comfortable with your sin. Don't be comfortable with your sin. You are not under the weight of your sin in Christ any longer. And if you pursue your sin, it will break the things around you. Confess it. Don't feed it. And walk by the Spirit. And if we walk towards tragedy or natural disaster, we worship, we wait, and we pray. Let's pray. God... We need your help. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us over the sin in our lives that we have justified for way too long. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would even do that now. Because it's breaking things. And I pray that our eyes would be open to the the brokenness that it's causing in our lives and in our minds and our hearts and our relationships. God, I pray that as we see the the sin that we are struggling with and that we've been pursuing and comfortable with, God, I pray that you give us the courage, the conviction, the discipline to not be okay with it anymore, but to deal with it harshly because we know what it is doing to us and to you. So God, we pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would help us to walk in the Spirit to forsake the flesh. And God, for those of us who struggle in sadness, I think of this family this morning as they have her funeral this afternoon. We pray, God, that as we deal with the brokenness of the world, 
that you would give us the help not to run from you, but to run towards you, to worship you, to trust you, to wait for you, knowing that you're coming back again to fix the brokenness of this world. So give us patience as we wait for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.